Ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas, a very happy new year. Welcome to I Don't Know History. Hello again. RJ's here. He still doesn't know history, or this particular branch of history that I'm talking no, about. No, I do not. <laughs> I'm Alex, and I, I know history. Good. Yeah. Good for one of us, otherwise this podcast would not make any sense at all. The last episode was quite a nice little jaunt through the history of Christmas. Yes, but it, was now, a, it was a lovely time. But now, RJ, we're back to the crushing reality of history. I, I've, I've realised something throughout this. I've done a lot of history about like war and terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. The history of mankind is, is full of awful people doing awful things. And yes. I think going into season two, we might do some alternative history sort of things. So, Are we also talking about the idea of me teaching you some history? Well, maybe. If, it, if there's a certain... Uh, point in history or type of history that I can teach you about technology yeah and the history of say like the computer and robots the robots you, you do learn? robots yeah I can do robots if you want awesome I don't fully know about robots but we can uh, go into it we there's, can talk there's about, so much though uh, like... we can talk about robots as in physical robots and how yeah. they move and yeah. as well as say like chatbots and AI that would be lovely yeah that's fine and also like the history of there's so many different things you have history of the history of language the history of I don't culture, know about that you'd have to do that the history of like Geographical movement. See, those are not Tri- my expertise. Tribal history. I, the history of the automobile. The history of technology. The industrial technology revolution. Is anything to do with technology, I'm all up The for. history of gaming. Uh, history of the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's a short one, but still. I mean, it's a short one, but it has been in development for years. Um, and it was... Uh, the, let's, I'm just going to briefly... Brief nugget for when we do it. Uh, do you know why the dark net exists? No. It's uh, for the military, and that's why people have access to it because if the dark net needs to exist, so say like, uh, say like government agencies mm-hmm. can send things without people noticing. When you say the dark net, you're referring to the same thing as like the deep web. The deep web. Okay. Yeah, I am referring to that. Well, t- today, RJ, we're we're going to cover the first. This is going to be another two parter because this is also very long, just like the Cold War was, mm-hmm. uh, even though it only spans four years. Um, potentially the worst thing that's ever happened to humans ever. Um, the Kardashians. I was meant to say Kardashians, not Kardashians, but there we go. Well, that's probably how it's originally pronounced in uh, ethnic Armenian. Oh. Kardashian. Weird. Yeah, they're all Armenian. Uh, what else would be the worst thing to happen to humans? Um, Harvey Weinstein. Oh. Topical. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm actually going to talk to you about the First World War. War! Yeah. Do you remember the first episode, the first ever episode of I Don't Know History we did was the Second World War. And, yeah. That was terrible. But as far as, like, because of the, it was more terrible because of what happened um, domestically in Germany and things like that. But the First World War is probably, the war side of it is much worse. Because mm-hmm. it was, all I know from my, my schooling of it is that uh, this guy did one thing which pissed off these people, which pissed off these people, which pissed off, which pissed off these people, and which pissed off these people. Actually, I learned that after school. Mm. Uh, I learned that from a YouTube video. And um, what I learned in school was, I don't know what this is about. I think the Germans did a thing and the British got involved. Uh, That's well, genuinely what I remember from school. Um, but other than that... I just know a lot. Have of people you ever watched? Have you ever watched Black Adder Goes Forth? No. 
Okay, Blackadder Goes Forth is uh, the fourth series of the Blackadder sitcom, and it's based in World War One. And while it is a comedy, it makes it does make some really good uh, allusions to World War One. Yeah, Marjorie, how did how did World War One start? I do you actually want me to answer this because I can't actually know the answer. Go on. I actually I don't know the full names. But it's I know a... someone tr- someone did assassinate someone else mm-hmm. uh, in Belgium. Okay. No, what, what no, 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 no. Okay, I'm wrong. I'll correct it later. It's fine. Correct me later. Um, uh, and killed him. And then this pissed off another country, which pissed off another country because there was a fight going to happen. And then back, it, it just did his own thing. The First World War started because a fella called Archie Duke shot an ostrich because he was hungry. Wait. <laughs> Sorry, I just cheered. Shot an ostrich because he was hungry. <laughs> if, 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 if you know Blackadder, anyone who's listening to this who knows Blackadder will realise that's a reference to that. Okay, because I heard ostrich because he was hungry. Uh, but my brain was also telling me, no, what probably you just cheered was shot someone from Austria because uh, he was Hungarian. So the generally accepted reason that World War One began was because the Archduke of Hung- Austro-Hungary got shot. Mm-hmm. And while this is true, yeah, and we'll get to it, there are a myriad of other reasons. Prior to 1914, so we're talking over a hundred years ago now. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. over a hundred years ago. I don't know why it took me to look at the calendar to go, yeah, that is 100 years On the 11th of November of this year, it'll be 100 years since the First World War ended. Cool. I mean, not cool. It's unbelievable. There were several build-up reasons and causes for the First World War. Yeah. In the early 20th century, there was a huge build-up of uh, power, sort of imperial power. You think, can you, what, what are the two biggest empires in the world uh, in 1900? 1900, the two biggest powers? Mm-hmm. Britain, Russia? Yeah, you're pretty much right there. It's Britain, and then the second spot is difficult to understand. Um, I'm going to give you a, li- a little bit of prehistory that I didn't, like pre-World War One that I didn't plan to do, but I'm going to mention this anyway. In 1871, uh, the, 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 cluster of German states mm-hmm. uh, were brought together and united as Imperial Germany. Cool. It had, it had not been called Germany before then. It was the Holy Roman Empire and it was uh, Lotharingia and East Francia and uh, then before that it was Prussia and Bavaria and Thuringia and Schleswig-Holstein and all these kinds of places. But in 1870 yeah. and 1870, well, 1871 it became Germany as we know it under the leadership of the former Chancellor of Prussia, a gentleman called Otto von Bismarck. Prussia? Prussia. What? Not Russia, Prussia. Separate? Prussia is a German state. Okay. Not named at all after Russia. No. Prus- Just checking. Prussian blue, the colour, is named after okay. Prussia. Uh, it was the biggest and most populous and most powerful of the German states. Um, Germany became one nation under a gentleman called Bismarck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the monarchy had, had gone, there was no monarchy, Bismarck was the chancellor. And what he did was he create, he built Germany into this economic and 
military power, basically by just through diplomacy. This, he was the only guy keeping Germany from not being in a war. So wait, there was no such thing as Germany before, that, as in like the word Germany. There, there had never been a sovereign nation called Germany. Germany was a was Germania. Mm-hmm. There was a a German uh, ethnic area and a geographical area in much the same way as during the Soviet Union, Russia was still a place. Germany was an area, but it had never been established as a sovereign nation. So Germany has only been around for 140 years. Okay. And even then, for, um, for, for six, if you listen to the Cold War podcast, you'll know that there's about 60 of those years there was no, there was no unified Germany. Okay. So, like, imagine if um, Wales... Wales's name changed to Glamorgan instead, mm-hmm. right? Or say like the south of Wales got split off and like the north became just Wales and we became Glamorgan, right? Right. I'm guessing it's like that because of the, a lot of a lot of South Wales would have say like Glamorgan uh, names like Swansea, West Glamorgan, Cardiff, South Glamorgan, Barry in the Vale. Yeah. So that kind of thing. If they became Glamorgan instead, mm-hmm. it would be like that. Think of it more like. Cornwall, mm-hmm. yeah. If Cornwall became a country mm-hmm. in twenty years' time, it's always been Cornwall. It's always been a geographic area. Yeah. And there's never been a sovereign nation of Cornwall. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought it'd be like a name that was roughly in that area, but became the more. There was a lot of imperialism, place. right, in the early twentieth okay. century. The British Empire, the German Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Russian Empire, the Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Empire is modern-day Turkey. Okay. Okay? And it was it was almost too difficult not to have a war. Yeah. But the guy that was really pulling the strings to make sure a war didn't happen was this Bismarck fellow. Yeah. Now, there was something called the Triple Alliance. Okay? And the Triple Entente. There was, there was, the, the, it started really with the Entente Cordiale. Uh, between France and Britain. Oh no, the Triple Alliance. We'll start with the Triple Alliance, okay? Started in the 1870s with the Germans and Bismarck. Bismarck allied himself with Austria-Hungary, now Austria and Hungary, <laughs> in 1873. Okay? He, they also tried to ally with Russia as well, but they couldn't agree on, on terms. This became known as the Dual Alliance. Italy in 1882 also joined this Triple Alliance well, this alliance and made it the Triple Alliance. So you've got this this super block. Germany, Austria, Hungary, and Italy. And then you also have something called the Triple Entente, which began with the Entente Cordiale between France and Britain. Now, for a thousand years prior to this, France and Britain had been in a state of pseudo-war, quasi-war for, for ages. The Hundred Years' War, the Napoleonic Wars, all this... <laughs> Kind like, of like the Battle Trump of Agincourt. Kim Jong-un just um, like looking at each other like, oh, I'm ready, oh, yeah. I'm ready, oh, I'm ready. King, like William the Conqueror going over and attacking, all the, and then being invaded himself, blah, blah, blah. So that happened. They, they started this thing called the Entente Cordiale, which is basically they went, do you know what, do you want to be friends? Mm-hmm. And it was, okay, let's, let's not be at war with each other because they are the old enemy, the French, right? And then... Something else that happened was the Franco-Russian alliance. After Germany had attempted to gain an alliance with Russia, the French went to the Russians and said, hey, do you want to be John B. friends? Do you want to join an alliance? While France and Britain are not in a formal alliance, France and Russia were. 
Okay, and because of the Anglo-Russian convention that later happened uh, in the in the late nineteenth uh, century, England and or Britain and Russia and Russia and France and they were all sort of friendly. It wasn't a formal alliance like Italy, Austria, Hungary, and Germany was. Yeah. So they they created these two super blocks where they started building armies and navies and uh, increasing their imperial influence. So you think about. France had dozens of colonies in Africa. Uh, Britain had dozens of colonies in Africa. You think about all the English-speaking countries in Africa now. So like Ghana and South Africa. And I can't think of them all off the top of my head. Germany also had power in um, Africa. They had German Guinea, it was called several times. And like Cameroon was a German colony. And Tanganyika, which is now Tanzania, was a German colony. So there's all sorts of things going on around the world because everyone owns everything. Yeah. After Bismarck, this fellow who's basically pulling the strings and stopping the world from collapsing, yeah. uh, gets pushed out and the monarchy is restored in Germany. There a gentleman called Kaiser Wilhelm, the Kaiser, mm-hmm. yeah, in 1890. He kind of threw Bismarck's foreign policy out. Yeah? Um, basically, he, he's the one that brings the chair into the ring. Same. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. like. He just he just throws it all out and just creates chaos because yeah. he he doesn't like the Russians, he doesn't like this people, and it's like so this this arms race, right? The arms race started because of deterrence. The British and the French and the Russians said we we're gonna have these big armies so that Germany and Austria Hungary and the Ottomans won't attack us. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. It's the same thing. That was the plan all along, really, that everyone had these huge armies so that no one would attack each other. It was kind of a, a pseudo-Cold War in the early 20th century. So the Imperial German Navy became much more massive. The HMS Dreadnought was built by the Royal Navy, a huge uh, metal ship. Uh, it's mainly the UK and, the Ger- and Germany, but it extended to other powers throughout the early 20th century. So the, French, the French had huge military might, as did Austria-Hungary, as did the Ottomans, as did the, as did the Russians. It, Europe has set a stage of the world at this point. America is... It's kind of coming into its own, but it's yeah. not really... It's very isolationist at this point. It's not really involved in anything. I actually don't know much about America between 1900 and... Uh, not 1900. Uh, 1838, say, mm-hmm. and 1900. I don't, don't really you? know that much. Because I know, I know America's founding. Mm-hmm. I know the Hamilton years, the founding mm-hmm. fathers, and... Setting the slaves free, which was eighteen. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you remember? Don't you remember the secession crisis of eighteen fifty four? I did a whole episode oh, about it. No, no, no. The American like, Civil War, all but that. Anything Lincoln. like between that? Anything between I, what I would say is America a long, long time ago. So post Civil uh, War. Po- yeah, let's say post Civil War. Okay. I don't really know much about do it. Do an episode on that if you want. That's fine. If there's anything big about it, if it's if it if there's another war for fuck's sake, mm-hmm. I would be pissed. So, in Europe, there's an area called the Balkans. Mm-hmm. Do you know where the Balkans are? No. Uh, so the Slavic countries. Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Uh, what what became Yugoslavia? Okay. Okay. And in 1908 to 1909, there was something called the Bosnian Crisis. Oh, I've heard of this. I don't know what it's about. Go on. I don't know what it's about. Okay. But I've heard of this. Um, Bosnia-Herzegovina was a... It was pretty much a protectorate state of Austria-Hungary. 
mm-hmm. uh, for years and years. But it was an, it was the official. It started with the official annexation of Bosnia and Herzegovina by Austria-Hungary. So they marched in and said, ah, "We we actually want you because of all this whole uh, build-up in armies and influence and stuff." They said, "We want more land. We want this land that we pretty much own to be officially owned by us." Now this this pissed off the Kingdom of Serbia. As it would. And the Russian Empire. Because they were friends with the Bosnians. Mm-hmm. And the, it's, it's the powder keg of Europe, the Balkans were at that point. So the, the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, had fought the First Balkan War against the, the Balkan League, it was called. So Croatia and Serbia and Montenegro and, yeah, all, all those other countries. Uh, the instability in the region had so far been kept in check by the great powers of Europe. The great powers being Germany... Austria, Hungary, France, and Britain. Okay? Yes. So, we've already established that there are huge armies being built up on either side. There is instability in a certain region in Europe that is potentially going to cause a breakdown. Now, on the 28th of June, 1914, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, that he, he that is yeah, who the band is named after, of Austria, Hungary, visited Sarajevo in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Wait, how is it spelled? Sarajevo. Sarajevo. S-A-R-A-J-E-V-O. Ah, Sarajevo. 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 Now, Archduke Franz Ferdinand is the son of the Emperor of Austria-Hungary, Franz Joseph. Okay? He's visiting there on a sort of, let's go make the Bosnians happy. Just going to pause you for a second. Yeah. uh, Because I've got a song stuck in my head now. Uh, Not a Franz Ferdinand one. Mm -hmm. But there's a song by Watsky called Sarajevo. Listen to it. It's friggin' dope. About two people falling in love who are from different religious backgrounds. Oh, yeah, very good. In Bo- it's interesting. Interestingly, in Bosnia, there are Muslims in Bosnia mm-hmm. and Herzegovina, and there are also Christians. Yes, what is the songs about? Which is odd in Europe because most of the other Slavic countries are entirely Christian, Christian Orthodox. Okay. A group of assassins from <laughs> Bosnia, or Serbian uh, assassins called yeah. the Black Hand, uh, planned to assassinate the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. He was uh, planning to come in on this big, long procession, this parade, and they were going to line the streets and throw grenades at him, at his car, and also then take cyanide capsules to kill themselves, Mm -hmm. to make sure they didn't get captured. Um, It didn't really go to plan. They had a lot of old materials that didn't really work There's, for one thing after they tried this their cyanide capsules didn't work just made them sick and they all got arrested and their grenades also didn't work or one of them exploded but it was too far away and the archduke's car sort of sped away it was a rubbish it was a crap assassination attempt they did really poorly mm-hmm. if he just continued on with his normal thing and gone do 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 and finished he'd have just gone home to Austria and been like oh, a bit, bit of trouble in Bosnia it's all fine though and the war probably wouldn't have started for a good few years yeah However, this is this is the funniest thing. It's not funny because a man's died, but it's, it's just the ludicrousness of it. So they take a wrong turn. Oh no! No! They take a wrong turn. Is this how the war starts? There's a gentleman called Gavrio Princip, okay, who was a member of the Black Hand. Who after this went very poorly. He went bugger this, and he 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 left. He went to buy a sandwich in a sandwich shop. Now, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand's driver took a, t- took a wrong turn down a very narrow road that this sandwich shop happened to be at. He goes, uh, Archduke, we've, we've taken a wrong turn here. Let me swing it around. 
Now, in this great big 1914 car, they're, they're pretty cumbersome. They're not as speedy as we think of today. He goes, I'm going to have to do a three-point turn. Yeah. Or like a 20-point turn. So they're very slowly trying to turn around in the street. Gabriel Princip, the assassin, eating his sandwich, looks out the window of the sandwich shop, goes, there he is. That's who we were supposed to kill. He walks out of the building and shoots the Archduke at right, just at point blank range. <laughs> the set of, cir- the set of oh circumstances God. to get to that point are oh almost, almost beyond belief. He goes, ah, fuck it. We, we... It sounds like a Blackadder sketch. It does. Sketch. Oh, we, we, we missed him. Oh, we'll never get another chance like that. Oh, wait, there he is. <laughs> As his car's like backing up and forth, like, hang on, we'll get out in a minute. He just gets it's shot. It's like that scene in Austin Powers as well. Like, like... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly that. When he keeps trying to go forward, it's just, it's just oh, like that. Why did he just reverse or keep going? So. I've gone in the two. It's, tell me, there's an episode of Doctor Who called Turn Left. Mm-hmm. Where literally just turning a street corner changes things drastically because the doctor dies and doesn't save all the things that happens in in the world um, across the coming years from two thousand five of Doctor mm-hmm. Who two thousand six of Doctor Who onwards, and the world goes to fucking shit. And just the way that that is relatable to this, mm. where if that man didn't turn the wrong corner. The, the world would be that's, that's like a, a time traveller sort of thing if you could go back and change one thing just go back and whisper to Archduke Franz Ferdinand's driver it's not this one mate it's the next one no if I could travel back in time he'd like be turning the car I'd be like don't go down yet go down that way and I then mean, instantly vanish due to the fact that I just changed time and probably won't <laughs> exist <laughs> change history so that the war never it's not even just changing history you're changing history drastically potentially no World War One. Potentially no World War Two, potentially no nine eleven, no Falkland War, mm. no Donald Trump. No Donald idea. Trump's might not have immigrated. I don't know what timeline they. Immigrated. I don't know where they're from. To be honest with you, uh, I think it's Germany. Germany Trump is the Trump. original. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere, somewhere <laughs> from Imperial Germany. In- interestingly, as well, back to nineteen fourteen. Okay. The Austrians sort of didn't really care that much. Like, the people of Austria-Hungary were like, eh. After, they're up there, after the, the son of the emperor have been killed, they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Obviously, the, the, uh, the, the emperor was in, <laughs> enraged. Uh, the Austro-Hungarians believed correctly that Serbian officials, like Serbian government officials, had been involved with, with the assassination. Because mm-hmm. members of the Black Hand, this, this assassin, were also... Involved in the government. Sounds like something like Game of Thrones again. Yeah. That needs to be, a, like, a, if we're going to do merch for our history, that's going to have to be a t-shirt at this point. Sounds like it's out of Game of Thrones. Sounds like it's out of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I say it too much, but the Black Hand sounds like it's out of Game of Thrones. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. The Austro-Hungarians, they tried to provoke a war with Serbia with something called the July Ultimatum. They sent them a list of... Um, we will declare war on you unless you agree to these these things. Um, I could go into it in detail, but it's quite complicated, so I'm not going to. But the main one that Serbians disagree with was Article Six of the July Ultimatum, which what is, is to it a- about. Sorry, sorry to interrupt again. Going to do a f- n- another funny, I guess. Yeah. But um, why is it so? Like, what is it? The July what ultimatum? Ultimatum. The July ultimatum. Why is it anything official documentation wise has to be 
named like a fucking dramatic film. The Panama Papers. The 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 one with Tony Blair that was last year. The Chil- the Chilcot Inquiry. Yeah, that was. They're all like film to book names. It's like God Christ. These are these are obviously named. This was named long after this this happened. I imagine. Oh, I thought that they were coming up being like July Ultimatum. No, it was an ultimatum sent in July, so they referred to it as the July Ultimatum. Oh right, okay. But still, that's really dope yes. and like, it's scary. Yeah, it is a bit. The July ultimatum. We sent you an ultimatum. We're a giant empire. What if, like, you're, you're like, I was, like, you know when relationships have an ultimatum mm-hmm. in them, being like, oh, if we don't get married, we're gonna have to break up, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, like, imagine the July ultimatum of that. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> I've written down ten points that you must agree to. <laughs> Any of these that you don't agree with, there will be war or a breakup. So, <laughs> Serbia mainly disagreed with Article 6, yeah, which would allow Austro-Hungarian officials to be involved with the investigation of the assassination. That would obviously lead to them discovering that Serbian government officials had been involved with this assassination, and they were like, no, 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 no. They sent this ultimatum, and while they didn't declare war, they mobilized their troops. Because they knew that they sent this, this unacceptable ultimatum. There was no way that the Serbians were going to agree to this. Okay. And they knew that. Mm-hmm. So they mobilised their troops and sent this thing and said, we're going to have a war. Just prepare yourselves. So on the 28th of July, 1914, after the Serbians have basically rebuffed them and said, no, we're, we're not accepting this, Austro-Hungary declares war on Serbia. Mm-hmm. Now, Serbia is a little country. Austro-Hungary, massive country. Huge, huge military power at this point. And it doesn't look good. On the 30th of July, two days later, Russia orders mobilization in support of Serbian allies. He does not declare war yet, mm-hmm. but he mobilizes almost in an effort to get the Austro-Hungarians to stand down. Yeah? It, it's like your dad telling your brother in the backseat, mm-hmm. like who's bullying the sister kind of thing. So, oi. And like, oi, don't make me, don't make me t- t- stop. Mm. It's exactly that. Tsar Nicholas of Russia had already declined German efforts to suppress the mobilization. The Germans went, ah, no, come on. You don't want to do that. Just let, just let them fight it out. It's okay. And he declined. Uh, Germany also sent this, this message to, to France, Russia's ally. They said, don't get involved. Please yeah. don't get involved. Uh, Russia declined. And this is why people think Germany started the First World War. Because the Germans, on the 1st of August, before Russia had declared war on anyone, they declared war on Russia. They came to the aid of the So at the minute, these two are fighting down yet. Mm-hmm. And then Joe, like, I mean, everyone's kind of like politically dancing around the subject. R- yeah. And then Germany's like, Russia, come at me, bro. Basically, Germany was the catalyst of the war. Okay. Russia, they, they were gonna, they were gonna declare war on Austria-Hungary. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, mm-hmm. Germany just jumped the gun. And then two days later, they also declared war on France. I wonder what it would have been like different. Would, would it be different if Russia went first? Like, there's any expectations? Because they're like the dynamic of who hates who and who's defending well, who in, in was the, so complicated. If someone else declared it yeah. first, would that in the, alter it? In, in, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. This is not something to do with World War One, but in the 1919 Treaty of Versailles, which you've probably heard about, mm-hmm. um, there was a clause written in that the Germans were responsible for, for the war. Yeah. The war guilt clause, it was called. Mm-hmm. Now, had Russia attacked first there probably wouldn't have been a war guilt clause. The, li- the likelihood is the, the war would have ended the same. It would have been a, a decisive Allied victory. 
But whether or not the Germans would have been blamed for the war so much and it would have plunged Germany into the state of uh, disrepair that it was in. Because they had to pay for it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, huge amounts of reparations. And I they, remember this from the oh, World War Two episode that we did. The first episode, feel free to take They've this. only just paid them off a few, few years ago, five years ago, something like that. Uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, they they got like they were. I think it was Con, was it Adenauer or was it one of the one of the German chancellors after World War Two managed to work them down and say, look, we can't. This is ridiculous. Um. Yeah. So the war guilt clause wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have destabilized Germany that much, probably. So it had Russia attacked first. You may not have had World War Two. You may not have had... Yeah, we know the exact point in time where you've got to go back to stop that car turning the wrong damn way. Imagine that. Imagine being the guy turning the car. If he survived and, like, learnt of what happened, I'd be like... Yeah. Just end it. Just end it. But, yeah, it's really... One of the most interesting things about history is to look back and and think, if this one tiny thing had been different then maybe there wouldn't have been... Because Germany started this war. They went, right, war with Russia. And then two days later, they did a clear war in France because of this Franco-Russian alliance. Mm-hmm. They knew that France would come to, the, come to Russia's aid, so they just declared war straight off. So, war. <laughs> there it, we're now in a period of war. Why are we not in this podcast? Yeah, I realise that. <laughs> I'm going to try and do slightly more. Season 2 is going to be a breath of fresh Going to do a slightly more happy podcast <laughs> series, I think. Um, it's more like, I don't know war. <laughs> now, this is, what, this is where it gets interesting because of tactics. This is the first modern war. The, oh, right, The first yeah. real modern war. Before that, it was... Because we all got bombs and grenades and yeah. we were dying to try I mean, them out on each other. Guns had been used in warfare, but mostly colonial. So, like, gun, gun beat spear, you know. The, uh, there's a joke in Blackadder again that like oh we we have guns and they were using sharpened pieces of fruit to attack us with it was it was colonial warfare but there was nothing to it but also it, it's you had guns previously we mm-hmm. say like gunpowder one shot yeah they weren't as good whereas in this in World War One you had say like easier to load rifles you have planes you have rifles yeah. you actually have rifles not you muskets have, I don't know what the, what the gun would be good not minigun because I guess that would be later on but machine gun yes there we go not, not what like an, not an AK would an AK have been around? they didn't have assault rifles at that yeah point. no uh, but something a lot like a, the, what, you hold all you got to hold the bullets they have them a, that's a machine gun that is a machine gun yeah. is it Oh, right, okay. Because I always assume machine gun is like an AK kind of thing. That's that, an assault that, right? That yeah. Is, that is a misnomer. I don't know why. That's not a machine gun. I think gun. that's just... Because I said it, said it, and it just took me back to being eight and holding like a plastic AK. What about a machine gun? That's an automatic rifle. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of that. Um, yeah, so war. Now, Austria-Hungary was just going to waltz in and crush Serbia. They assumed, because Germany had a much larger border with Russia, that Germany was going to deal with Russia mm-hmm. and also France. Mm-hmm. And Austria-Hungary was going to be able to just march on down to Serbia. But Germany mobilized in France first. And so Austria-Hungary had to split its forces between the Russian front and the Serbian front, which meant they were weaker in Serbia. And in one of the biggest upsets of all time, mm-hmm. Serbia won. Serbia, this little country, repelled the uh, 
military might of Austria-Hungary. Yeah, they won. And they were like kind of vindicated. Right. Austria-Hungary didn't really play that big a part in in the war as we know it because they lost to Serbia and they, they got kind of crushed by the Russians because they didn't give enough of their strength there. So they were kind of out of it before the first round really ended. The Germans, however, um, knew that knew they had to fight a war on both fronts, but they wanted to deal with one side very quickly. They were going to try and take over, get rid of France really quickly, like they did in World War II. Yeah. Um, so they came up with something called the Schlieffen Plan. Um, that one sounds more funnier than the other than selling the Panama Papers in July. Yeah. The Schlieffen Plan, which was uh, organized by I think it was either foreign minister or a war general called something Schlieffen. Um, mm-hmm. There were many different iterations of the Schlieffen Plan. It wasn't the the first idea of the Schlieffen Plan wasn't. You want to laugh every time I say it, don't you? I, I feel real bad. It's like when I go to IKEA and I start laughing at all the furniture names. <laughs> I'm like I'm being very disrespectful to other cultures and other people's names. It's fine. Like we, if I went we to another country and introduced myself as RJ and someone started laughing, being like, "Oh, it also kind of sounds like small penis." <laughs> I would be like, "Oh my god!" Um, <laughs> I'd be really offended. You know, you know the Italian restaurant Zizi. Yeah. Uh, Zizi in French means small penis. Oh my god. Oh, Zizi. <laughs> yeah. But that's why, yeah, I, I feel So bad. the idea <laughs> the idea of the Schlieffen plan, the Schlieffen plan uh, to changed so many times that the first one that really came about wasn't wasn't quite the same. But the, the idea remained the same. It was to march through Belgium and Luxembourg, so rather yeah. than straight, straight into France from Germany, where there was a much bigger defensive front, they marched around mm-hmm. through Belgium and Luxembourg to secure a second defensive front at uh, Verdun, which is a, a French town. So rather than attacking from one side, they were attacking from two sides. There was a pincer. They weren't really expecting uh, Britain to get involved. That kind of threw a spanner in the works. The British Expeditionary Force, which is what the army was called at that point, yeah. got involved in Belgium and Luxembourg. Because obviously Britain had to get involved because France and Russia were their sort of allies. Uh, there's a really interesting I'm not sure if this is 100% true but there is a story that goes around that uh, in one of the first battles of the First World War because it had all been sort of Napoleonic and colonial the French marched out in their full regalia you know those old uniforms they used to have with the the blue and red things with the big hats oh yeah horses with swords yeah marched out in that with the drums and the banners and and the guns and the cannons and the horses and the Germans came out with big guns and mowed them down in their thousands that's what I've heard. Whether or not that's true is another question, because I can't I can't find a, 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 a reliable source for it. But I've heard that's that. when things started to take a change when guns were invented, because before that would have been like a very dramatic kind of. This is a, it was a, this is like yeah. we're being very theatrical. It was a musket power. It was a musket more than anything. It was bang, and then then they would reload. You couldn't fire like bang 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 bang. Okay. You know, like you could with. But so like it, with the invention of as in what I mean is say so like. If it was just say like a sword fight mm-hmm. battle, you'd be left in a situation where so if you were about to get into a sword fight, uh, like everyone's got swords. If you're about to get into that situation, mm-hmm. and suddenly your enemies come over the hill, uh, to in the fucking Barney the dinosaur theme, mm-hmm. um, well, if, which I guess France wouldn't because that's actually um Yankee Doodle Dandy, <laughs> which is the U.S. one. That's why I'm thinking about it, by the way. Okay. Because you said the drums, and then I started going... Um, do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. That's not Barney the Dinosaur, I think. Yeah, it is. No. Barney is a dinosaur from our imagination. 
Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of I Love You, You Love Me. Oh, We're that's the goodbye it. song. Which, actually, the goodbye song is from Bear in the Big Blue House. Oh, um, is it? Well, no, well, no, yeah, the song that you're on about, yeah, I said goodbye song, and I was like, no, that's the wrong title, goodbye song is Bear in the Big okay. Blue House. Goodbye, goodbye. We're lapsing into friends, the history of children's TV. Oh, I will totally do that. Okay. I'll do that if you want it. Not right now. So, <laughs> the Germans went to the Western Front uh, in like full force. But there was some Russian intervention. While Germany did have forces on the Eastern Front, uh, Russia like f- fucked up Germany a little bit on the Eastern Front. They, they lost a battle in... Uh, while the Russians did lose a battle in Tannenberg on the East, um, the, the amount of forces they sent meant that Germany had to redeploy troops to the East. Um, meaning that the French and the British... Combined, uh, the, allied, the allied uh might of the French and British won a decisive victory at the first battle of the Marne. Now a lot of these battles are named because unlike in World War II where there was a lot of uh, sort of inner city warfare, like you've seen say in Private Ryan, probably mm-hmm. a lot of shooting just in buildings and stuff where you can't really point out where the battles happened. Yeah. You can have the landings of D-Day. In the First World War there was still that idea of they're over there, we're over here, we are now going to fight. So the, the, a lot of the battles were named. Battle of the Somme, the first Battle of Marne, the second Battle of Ypres. Yeah. For example, right? Um, yes, yeah, so the French and British won, meaning the, German, the Germans had to retreat, which plunged Europe into a long, drawn-out, two-fronted war, which is what people wanted to avoid. The Germans are trying to come in, crush France, sort that out. Britain wouldn't, wouldn't do anything if that happened. If, if the Germans had got rid of France, Britain would, wouldn't be able to land on the beaches and attack not not in world war one times and then it would have been dealing with russia and it would have been a, a decisive victory but the fact that the russians attacked when they did and the french and british beat them back uh, on the western front meant that it, be, it became this long drought war and the reason this is called world war one is already there's five great big nations involved six if you count the ottomans right mm-hmm. new zealand invaded german samoa it was called it's now american samoa Okay. Um, Japan, Japan fought on our side in World War One. Oh yeah, they um, they were delivering stuff, weren't they? Um, I don't know the particulars, but they declared war on Germany and Austria-Hungary. Yeah, they did support. They uh, it was done on the tele, mm-hmm. the the telecom. Boop boop boop. But they were um, they were discussing and they were also doing shipments and stuff like that. Canada. They didn't actually fight in the war. But they did. Oh. This is another... I, I For some reason, I seem to know a lot about Japan. Mm. Canada were involved heavily in this war as well. Did not know that. That's yeah. really cool. Canada involved in Viney Ridge. That's quite... A, oh, is Canada involved because of French Canada? No, they're involved because they're a British colony. I assume <laughs> because Canada has French in it. <laughs> that, I um, literally... Well, well, I guess... Australia came and attacked the Ottoman Empire. Oh, that's because of Britain again. Um, and... The, Surprisingly, right, the Indians uh, supported Great Britain. People thought because there was... From India? or From India, yeah. Okay. The, the people thought there was... Uh, Not Native American. No. Pan, Pan-Islamism was a thing, and people were starting to uh, discover their Indian identity and try to fight back against the Britishness, like the British influence. Mm-hmm. People thought the Indians maybe would take this as an opportunity, but there was actually a, a big outpour of support for the Brit- their British like overlords if you like 
So the Indian, the India was, it's was like, on our all side. All we want you to do is get out of our country and let us be Indian. Can you, but, but, we, we, but you're in a war. No, we'll help you. Yeah. Which I guess, yeah. but I can like if they're in the middle of a fight, it does. If fighting for Britain does keep mm-hmm. them economically safe. It was quite surprising. People were surprised at it. So, one of the most, um, one of the most, uh, what's the word I want? One of the most lasting images of World War One is a certain type of warfare. Can you tell me what that is, RJ? Uh, gas. We'll come to that. Another one. Um, Something that wasn't around in World War Two. So, uh, nuclear trenches. Tren- oh, okay. I didn't think about that. Trench warfare. Okay. Trench foot. It was mainly on the Western Front where trench warfare happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, between Great Britain and France and Germany. They dug trenches because they're much more easily defensible positions. Mm-hmm. Now, the way they did this, right, they dug trenches and they kept trying to outflank each other so they could come around and attack that way and beat them back. But they both failed. People were building trenches as quickly as, as each other were, uh, resulting in a huge line of trenches that went from the sea in Belgium down to like Lorraine in France, which is a huge amount of distance. And that's what started this, this trench warfare line. The necessity to just run towards another trench, uh, attack into no man's land. It was called the area between the trenches. Now the Anglo-French from Wonder Woman. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Bit of pop culture for you. The Anglo-French trenches were temporary. Yeah, as an as an aid to offensive war because the British were British and French were very much attacking the Germans, and the Germans were just kind of trying not to not to lose, which meant the Germans were defending their tre- trenches and so they therefore they had a lot more time and a lot more resources to put towards building these trenches so they were much more soundly constructed uh, at the second battle of Ypres mm-hmm. which is in Belgium which is an interesting thing the Germans used chlorine gas here we are uh, which violated the Hague Convention it was one it, gas is also that, like as you said one of the more feared and iconic images of the war yeah. So, like, the gas masks were introduced and stuff, and everyone in World War Two also, all the civilians during World War Two had gas masks, just in case of gas attack. It wasn't yeah. used, because while, you know, Hitler did some very bad things, he did not want to violate the Hague Convention. Because that, I'm guessing, from his perspective, it would bring everyone on him at once. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think... Like, he will do it in his own country to the Jewish people. You don't use it during the, warfare. That's the idea of the Hague Convention. They use biological weapons as a, main, a method of war, chemical oh, weapons. Yeah. But I think it's just interesting to think that like everyone, everyone has a code. That's what they say. Everyone has a code that they live by. And while Hitler was evil and crazy, didn't want, didn't want to violate the hate convention, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, but yeah, all the gas masks that all, this, all the civilians had, while it wasn't used in World War II, like, like I said, they still had them just because of the fear of like mustard gas in World War II. Yeah. Do you know what mustard gas did? Uh, it's like blinded and it dissolved your, your body yeah essentially yeah. I, I accidentally made chlorine gas once <laughs> how did you boil chlorine what well, how did you make chlorine gas chlorine gas I think well, I can't remember which one it is but chlorine gas is when you mix chemicals and then just yeah it can do yeah so I accidentally mixed Mr. Muscle and a uh, different kind of cleaning product in the shower uh, and we had a tiny bathroom and I remember my god I remember I will never get over the burning like oh god what was that kind of sensation that went through my body when my I was cleaning the bottom of the shower mm-hmm. and instantly 
it went up into my like lungs I guess uh, and I was like <coughs> and I ran out of the bathroom you're lucky you didn't get a collapsed lung Christ because my mother was when my mother was in school she had a chemistry teacher who accidentally inhaled chlorine and his lung collapsed my god it was bad it was bad I jumped up I turned the shower on to try and run it out I opened the window of the bathroom and I was like guys don't go in there I don't know what I've made but I've made a thing did you get the bath clean what it was the bath clean afterwards yeah it was all fine oh good I was told Silver never lining. to clean the bathroom ever again Silver. so uh, that you was took fine. you were like alright uh, no, the thing is, uh, a few weeks later, I was like, can you clean the bathroom? I was like, excuse me, you told me not to. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Uh, so, just like, like, hang on, no, wait, you might kill us all. Yeah, it's, uh, and she, she was like, oh, all right. And I was just like, you said I'm not allowed to. I mean, I'm not going to mix chlorine <laughs> gas again, but it just told me not to. Uh, I'll never forget that day. We had a guest in the house that day as well. And we were just in the living room with a slight chlorine smell in the air. There's a swimming pool around here. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we had to keep all the windows open and we were a bit cold. It was like April. But you'd survived. Yeah, survived. Which is good. Which I haven't got, um, I don't think I've got anything. <laughs> I mean, it has been three years. Did your voice break suddenly that day? Oh, my voice. You used stopped. to talk like this? No, you talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was horrible though. Oh, I can't imagine the actual effects of chlorine gas. Oh, it would have been bad. People probably died in the droves. Something else that was used for the first time in World War One, Tanks. Oh, right. Now, while the first tanks, it was used by the French and the British, right, um, were kind of just like paper-thin boxes that you could easily have shot through. Yeah. Um, it was more the shock factor mm-hmm. that started. And they, they weren't very easy to control either. So they kind of went in straight lines until they ran out of fuel. <laughs> but they, they, they really helped. So, like, you'd have this tank come through, the, the, the Germans and the Austrians wouldn't know what was going on, and then you charge your cavalry through. They were still doing cavalry charges in World War One, by the way, with, like, actual horses. Have you seen War Horse, the film? No. Okay, well, if you ever I'm guessing, it, like, a lot of horses. Or the musical. They've done a musical now. Yes, there was a, I know there was a, Horses were involved in World War One, and mm-hmm. a lot of them died. I, I guessed. Yeah. Because the thing that people shoot for first, because then the person falls off, mm-hmm. and more likely to get trampled. And they're buggered. They developed more as the war continued until so we were at the level of what you had in in World War Two, of actual tanks with cannons on them. Because it was really just like a a big metal box with tank tracks with holes in the side that you could shoot out of. That was a tank. And while it didn't really provide you with any protection, it just it was it was pretty scary because people didn't know what was going on. Um, World War One as well as World War Two were, were two of the times where Military technology took huge advances. So you think about what was what was what people were flying before World War One happened. Um, the Sopwith Pup and the Sopwith Camel were planes that were used during World War One. Before then, it was planes that didn't have any guns on them. They were used for reconnaissance mainly, but they started being used for war tactics. So you'd have someone flying around in a plane, just holding a gun out of it and shooting at other planes, and like chucking grenades at the ground. From their plane. Weird. Whereas very quickly it became a method of warfare because you think about the the Baron von Richthofen, the Red Baron, was a German plane commander. And that sort of that that there's a there's an episode of Blackadder as well, when they joined the Royal Flying Corps. The Royal Flying Corps was founded in 
Oh God. That's a good question. Royal Flying Corps. I, I used to know all this. I haven't written this down in my notes. This is just something that's come to me. The Royal Flying Corps was around during the First World War, as was the Fleet Air Arm, the Navy's branch of that, became the Royal Air Force later on. But um, people realized during World War One that there was uh, you could use this as a method of warfare. Like warfare advanced hugely in in the in the twentieth century. People don't realize that. It's like in the nineteenth century, people were still like marching towards each other like I said the French were doing banging drums and playing trumpets and then shooting at each other from like half a mile away yeah we're like can I hit him bang can I hit him bang nope no one can hit each other because the guns are useless as well yeah. <laughs> the musket's just like a musket right it, it's just it's a straight barrel there's nothing in it it's just a metal it's a, it's a tube of metal and you fire it out and it might go straight it might go over there the thing about a rifle right the reason it's called a rifle is because it has something called rifling in the barrel which, if you looked, as stupid as this is, if you pick up a rifle and look down the barrel, point a gun right at your face, you'll see like a, a curved pattern all the way down it, and it, it spins the bullet as it comes out, which makes it go much straighter. And that sort of level of uh, technology was, was really helpful in advancing warfare. You know in cartoons, when you have a gun, mm-hmm. when someone bends a gun, yeah. and it points back towards the yeah. person, and they shoot it, and they shoot themselves. Uh-huh. What would happen if you actually did that? You'd get something called a bulge barrel. A bulge barrel. But it wouldn't curve around, it would just go... And stop at the bend. Stop at the bend, yeah. so the, the bullet would be in the gun. Yeah. It would, it would, so it just gets stuck. So you just get kind of a like a massive vibrate. I guess. It was yeah. It would break the gun. It would break the rifle. So it wouldn't no, pop out of there. Because no, no. I was like, it's either it's. My head was thinking it's going to do one or two things. It's either going to actually not go super fast at you mm-hmm. because of the sudden shock, but because of the speed that it'd be going at, it could either like either pop out and just kind of flop because of the, like. Mm-hmm. The clear like solid yeah. metal just think and like <laughs> i don't know if this is what you think could i shoot around a corner if i bend the gun no not like that but like and it wouldn't come out super fast but if you did that with a handgun because you're so close i was expecting like a proper smack to that face. you could get like a uh, muzzle um like it's not because it, it might end up not fully not fully cornering it mm-hmm. <laughs> but like if it like if there was enough room, if the the bend wasn't massive enough, like if the bend curved at a nice degree where the bullet would always fit through like oh, nicely, maybe, just, maybe. But I just think the, 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 there are guns that shoot round corners now. Weird, not weird, but like, but it's the twenty first century. No? Yeah. So, um, the most likely thing that would happen if, with a handgun is either just it would either just hit in there or the the gunpowder in the, in the round would explode and it wouldn't come out of the muzzle. Mm-hmm. It would just explode where it was in the chamber and the gun itself would explode. Pretty much. It would be, it would be an unusable weapon. Um, so there's a very important uh, place in France, which I have mentioned earlier, called Verdun, right? Yeah. Uh, Verdun is a symbol of French determination and self-sacrifice because Verdun was held by the French for between February and December 1916. After, like, the Germans were attacking in droves. Yeah. The French held Verdun with not as many men. There are about a million casualties throughout this, this one, two, three, four, ten month long period of, of defense in mm-hmm. Verdun. 
if Verdun had fell, the likelihood is the Germans would have won the war. So you can thank the French for winning the First World War because they did, really. Uh, People always say, oh, the French just completely capitulated in the Second World War. That's because half their population had been murdered during the war, the First World War. They didn't have Mm -hmm. what, they didn't have it anymore. They didn't. They thought everyone died in the First World War. I'm not, we're not doing this. Yeah. That's why that happened in the Second World War. Um, some complete sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention another another important event. This is a sad one, right? In the First World War, have you ever heard of the Battle of the Somme? Yes. Don't know what it's about. So the Battle of the Somme is the bloodiest day in British military history. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a badly planned assault on the German trenches. I've already mentioned that the German trenches were much better built than the than the, the British ones. They had bunkers right down, they built down meters and meters, yeah? Hundreds of meters. There was this huge bombardment of German trenches beforehand, where they shot these these shells over mortars and, and these great big, sending explosive rounds, these big ones, over to the German trenches to try and essentially try to kill people and not attack on foot because they didn't they're gonna bomb their own men. So the Germans just hunkered down. Not really that many people. Not people died, and then the British, the British, in their in their overconfidence, commanded all their men to get up out of the trenches and walk across no man's land. Walk. I know, actually, there's a I jo- know about this. There's a joke in Blackadder as well. Is oh the grand plan is the, is the new plan to uh, climb out of the trenches and walk very slowly across no man's land. It's like, how how the hell did you know that? And they said, because it's exactly the same thing we've done last time and the 17 times before that. Well, there is one problem with this plan, of course, you understand. Is it that everyone always gets slaughtered in the first 10 seconds? That's right. It's it's a... a, Blackadder number four is kind of a black comedy. But yeah, um, they walked across No Man's Land in their overconfidence and were massacred in their thousands as the Germans turned up, went, "They're they're all walking towards us. They're like, well, get on that machine gun. And the, there, there, there were accounts from German soldiers that like, they didn't even have to aim. Were they just... Were they trying? I don't know. I don't or were know. they just like, let's end it? <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't a strongly led campaign. Because I hear... About, I, I know I hear about this because I remember in history with the teacher that uh, got arrested from stealing from Devon's. Um, listen to the other podcast if you want to know <laughs> <laughs> the story behind that. You can check it out on Wales Online. Just Google, um, just I guess not a history teacher. Woman steals Santa Grand from Debenhams. Um, uh, just Google that. Um, <laughs> just where are you going with this? Uh, where I'm going with it is that she was the one that taught me uh, about the, the that was your teacher that taught me about that bit. Oh my goodness. What about... No, I'm just not... That was my teacher. Your teacher Rob from Devon's? I told you that! Oh, I forgot that. Sorry. No, yeah, my teacher... My history teacher was the one that stole from Devon's. Like, I'll show you an article now if you... No, it's, oh, you can show me after. Okay. <laughs> Let's get the podcast finished. <laughs> yeah, 50, 57,000 casualties in one day. You know that was the song? That's where, that's where... Yeah. That's where casual... That's the level of casualties. She, yeah, she was the one that taught me about the... The bloodiest day. Mm-hmm. The Battle of the Somme. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of used in pop culture now as like, if something goes really badly, it's like, oh, it's like the Battle of the Somme. 
1916 wasn't a good year for the British. Later in 1916, you had the Third Battle of Ypres, which is also called the Battle of Passchendaele. It's German, German or Belgian place, right? Um, there are really iconic pictures of British soldiers uh, like losing their horses in the mud. Oh God, there it is. So, yeah, teacher accused of selling so stolen, stolen goods, goods. goods. Found not guilty after no retrial. So no wait. way. Found, found not guilty. Wait, what? Accused of selling... But she did! I guess she didn't was found not guilty on that one, but her, her husband definitely went down. I bet you never thought you'd get this kind of salacious gossip on I Don't Know History. This is why I need to learn history, guys. Because I, I learned it from someone who steals from Debenhams. I don't steal from Debenhams. I don't steal. I buy all my items. Yeah. The Battle of Passchendaele, RJ. Yeah. Put your phone down. Sorry. I'm just... I just read Listen, it. I'm I just read you. a quote that said, "Husband was to blame." I'm trying to teach you, right? So the Battle of Passchendaele was an offensive by the British and the French. It started really well, but the weather they got they got bogged down literally, right? The weather made it impossible. Have you seen those really iconic images of like British soldiers losing their carts and their horses in the mud? Yes, probably. That's that's Passchendaele. There was so much mud that you just couldn't get out. People just drowned in the mud, and like. Even years, like years have passed now, people in uh, Flanders and Belgium have found, have dug up unknown British soldiers, kind of almost semi-preserved as well by the mud. My God. After a hundred years, people are still digging them up. Ugh. That many people just sunk and died. It's horrible. It's horrific. Like, people don't realise how, how horrible World War One was, but until you learn about it, you don't really understand. Yeah. You, see, you see the pictures. Oh. Yeah. And there was not much progress made by either the Somme or the Battle of Passchendaele. And this is why people think that trench warfare is stagnant and unchanging and just lasts for years and years. Because it does. There's very little movement on either side. The Germans made no advances. The British made no advances. Or they did, they made a hundred yards of advances. And the Germans would take that back with the next attack. Yeah. And now while, while trench warfare, there was very little movement, there were... There were huge amounts of like sort of tactical improvements and things like that made during this trench warfare because advances had to be made, obviously, and there's there's a, a growing economy because everyone's employed and everyone's working to, to further the war effort. But uh, that that RJ is where I'm going to leave it. That's the end of part one. Part one: the bleakness yeah. of of war and how it stagnated and and seemed like it was going to go on forever. Hence, the Great War, the war to end all wars. Good grief. Next time, we'll talk more about how the, uh, the American influence in the First World War, uh, how, how Britain and France eventually managed to push back the Germans and win the war. And post-World War I, we have touched on post-World War I Germany in the World War II episode, because yep. post-World War I Germany and pre-World War II Germany are the same thing. And if you are brand new to the podcast, you can either feel free to listen to the old episodes now, or you can always do this. Well, listen to the other episodes anyway. But listen to this episode, part two, and then go straight into World War Two because that would be a nice... That's like watching Star. It's like watching Star Wars Rogue One, and then immediately watching Episode Four afterwards. Yeah, it's like <laughs> everything's in the wrong order. Everything yeah. was released in the wrong order, but timeline-wise, we've got to go. And then you can watch the Cold War episodes. 
Because they immediately follow Warp oh 2 as well. <laughs> we've actually got a fucking... We, we don't do we, trilogies. We've we pretty do... much done the, the three biggest conflicts of the 20th century. Oh my god. We've done World War One, the Cold... Uh, World War Two and the Cold War. All we need to do now is the Falklands. Oh and, the, and Iraq. Is the Falklands the rogue one of the 20th century? Mm, like, how do you mean? Like it's a... Like... It's a small... Rogue Run 1, rather. Rogue Run? Ro- no. Rogue Run? Rogue oh. One was a smaller part of the, the Star Wars thing, but a key thing of, of it. Not so massive. World War One is episode four. World War Two is episode five. The Cold War is Return of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> and Rogue One would be... Well, no. What would be... Yeah, Falcon. No, we're all in the wrong order. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I don't know. Hitler is Anakin. Hitler is Darth Vader. It's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. Mein Führer. Mein Vader, which is father. I never even realised that. What? Vader, V-A-D-E-R, is... Is is close to father. That's in that is, that's a coincidence. Which though, is what... Because, no, because... No, in the, the first draft of Star Wars, he was called Darth Vader. He wasn't, he wasn't Luke's father. Star Wars was written before Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi were even in Zeke. Oh, I thought it was always. And his name his was idea. Darth. His name was Darth Vader. His name was Lord Darth Vader until they until they decided that Darth is actually the prefix used by Sith Lords. <laughs> that's why. That's why everyone calls him Darth. Wait, they don't call him Darth in Episode Four, do they? Mm. Oh, we won't call him Darth. I thought when, when they Lord meet Vader. Like, no, Lord he's Vader. Lord Vader. He's referred to as Lord Vader, but Obi Wan calls him Darth when they have a fight. Ah. Weird. But, but they just, they've explained that to be like, oh well, I was using it in like sort of a derogatory way because he's a Sith Lord. Like, oh hello, Darth. Darth Darth Vader. I guess. What when do they explain that? They don't explain it, but that's just how people have kind of Oh, how they've spun it. Yeah. When I th- see this at some point we will do the pop culture one. The history of Star Wars. I'm looking Wars. forward to doing it. Yeah. Um, where I teach you shit. Like, that's going to be a strange one. The dynamic's going to change. Yeah, it is. It's going yeah, weird. it is. If you enjoyed this episode, as RJ said before, please make sure you listen to the vast back catalogue of previous episodes. If you enjoyed hearing RJ's lovely voice, why don't you listen to Cup of RJ, also available on Podmage. Yes. Uh, every other um, podcast platform as well. iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry. Yeah, uh, feel free to take a listen to everything on podmage.com, uh, which is launching on the 7th. Coverage's uh, 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 Season 2 will start then, along with the Rank Quest. RJ, when's this podcast coming out? This podcast, well, this one, is yeah. coming out uh, tomorrow, the 5th. Oh, and so in two days' time, mm-hmm. on the 7th, Sunday the 7th, there will be a Coverage episode. Yes. Not Sunday, wasn't there? Yes. Uh, there Ooh. is currently a back catalogue of unintentional podcasts. And, and, and season one of the Cup Raja podcast. I'm on that four times. Yes. Uh, there's 18 episodes for you to listen to. Whoa. Along with the Cup Raja pilot. Um, and three episodes of the unintentional podcast. Which are all part of the Cup Raja podcast platform. Please subscribe and give us a five star rating. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Or give a rating that you deem us deserving of. Well, okay. five stars, but please, <laughs> please, <laughs> it really helps us out. It does, it really helps us out. It really does. Anyway, thank you for listening, and please make sure you tune in again. Say goodbye, RJ. Goodbye. Bye.